Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. It's that time of week again where my business partner, Sam Russ, takes over the show and interviews our guest. I hope you enjoy the show. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Sam Russ. Today, we are joined by Jay Tenenbaum. Jay is with the Scottsdale Real Estate Investments and has acquired over 450 distressed mortgage notes and real property in more than 30 states in his real estate career. Jay has a background in the legal field as well. We're excited to have him on the show. Thanks for joining us, Jay. Thank you, Sam. Well, pleasure to be here. Excellent. Jay, I wondered if maybe we could start with how you got into mortgage notes. As we were chatting before the show, you mentioned you had been in the legal field working in debt collection for a number of years, and then you've transitioned into mortgage notes. What was that journey like? How are you where you are today? Sure. So first of all, I like to say I've been in debt all my life, just not personally. So I was a debt collection attorney for 20 years, 2009 to 2012, started investing in buying judgment liens in California and executing on real property. And then late 2013, got went, you know, got exposed to you know mortgage note investing, and it was an easy transition, just another debt instrument, you know, different debt instrument, and made that transition very swiftly. Oh, that's excellent. You guys focus on secondary markets. I'm curious why you guys have picked those markets. What you would call a secondary market, and why that works for you and your team. Sure. So the secondary markets are, first of all, twofold to this. One is we are buying distressed mortgage notes. Okay. For example, Bank of America, Morgan, JP Morgan Chase, whatever, originates a loan to you back whenever, right? And then you sell it, they sell it on, on, the, on the market five minutes later. And they sell it to some hedge fund who strokes a seven, eight figure check, who then sells it to another hedge fund for $1.95 more, and ultimately trickles down to smaller investors such as, such as ourselves, where up till now, the loan has just been in default and nobody's talked to a borrower, nobody's started foreclosure, nobody's done anything. And so when we pick it up, we go, like I used to say, like Star Trek, we'll do where no one's gone before. We'll actually work the note through whether we're speaking to the borrower or starting foreclosure. And so you guys specialize in non-performing notes. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. Because for starters, well, because of my background, I can, and in, in the very beginning, cut my teeth buying, you know, low, what we call low balance assets, meaning the houses in those areas were worth $50,000, give or take, right? You're buying these loans for like, you know, five, $10,000. And you're having a conversation with a borrower and all of a sudden, you know, you're making a $300 a month, you know, loan modification payment. Your return on investment is awesome, right? And so if you think about it, if I'm buying a note for 10 grand and I'm getting a $300 payment, I'm getting a 36% return annually, right? I've turned that non-performing loan into a value-add performing loan, right? Now, the performing market probably paying $25,000, for that or more. So my return is not as great. I'm paying the premium for the gains in cash flow. You know, because of my background, it's easy for me to do. Going back to what you said before with regard to secondary markets, I also established my forte where I lived. When I started investing, I was living in California. I moved to here in Arizona about four years ago. I've never bought anything, whether in wherever I lived, whether it was California or Arizona. So I always learned how to buy stuff out of state 
because in the Midwest and the South, primarily, that's where the better opportunities exist. You're in judicial foreclosure states, so this process takes longer, but ultimately you get your better discount because of that. You know, California's, you know, Arizona are, you know, deed of trust states, mortgage, you know, foreclosures take five minutes. And for that, you'd be paying a premium for them. Yeah. And so what are the risks and what's the typical investor profile? You guys work with people from around the country. You know, there's pros and cons. I mean, you kind of outline there's better yield in the non-performing notes. Are you guys taking strictly first position notes? And if so, how do you ameliorate the risk? If you're taking second position, you know, it can take a little longer to unwind. Say you can't get a note performing. I mean, you have to go through that foreclosure process. How long does it take to actually realize a gain? Sure. So first of all, a couple things. Number one, I'm only invested in first. There's various reasons why not seconds. One is better be in first than second. <laughs> but seconds, just the marketplace was atrocious when I first started. The sellers in the industry weren't that reputable. Plus, there's just too many, much, much, much more risk involved in seconds. You've got them at, at steeper discounts, but there's just much more, much risk, risk involved. With regards to buying first, the foreclosure process is in the judicial states takes anywhere from could be six months to a year. But the thing is, the key is you want to minimize your risk. Meaning we started out buying pools of assets. Like I'll buy three, four, five, ten. The largest pool I ever bought was like 40 assets at one point in time. So you minimize your risk that way because of the diversification you achieve, number one. So that's one of the reasons that we have to say I'm buying first, I'm buying diversifying. I've bought pools before where I made one phone call and started generating cash. I've done it several times, a couple of different pools that come to mind where I got a majority of the portfolio cash flowing, you know, very, very quickly. We bought 21 seller finance notes in September of 2018 for $85,000 total, right? It was a hedge fund that I bought about 120 assets from earlier. They were getting down to the very last, last of their lot. And almost immediately, Reached out to got about 13 of those, 13, 14 of those performing immediately, spending off about five grand a month, almost immediately, right out the door. So, yeah, you can generate the cash flow. Now, I also am an advocate, you got to set your backstop. What I mean by that is when the borrower can't get out of their own way, you have to start the foreclosure. I started aggressively only as a backstop. If I'm you know, talking to you and you're giving me lip service and everything else, the loan just continues to stay in the fall and I'm just, you know, my ROI goes down. Right. So as I said, the backstop now in my action creates your reaction. I know in the multifamily world, which is where we play a little bit more, if we as the landlord don't hold up our end of the lease in holding the tenant to the terms of the lease. So it's beyond just, hey, we didn't provide a clean place of habitation. But if we don't initiate eviction proceedings within a certain window, unless there's extenuating circumstances like the moratorium, then we're in default of the lease or we're breaking the lease and we can't enforce its provisions on the tenant. Is it kind of that same methodology for foreclosures? Well, other than the moratoriums, it's really the investor, the lender's call, right? When you're buying notes, you are, you step in the shoes of the lender. You are the lender per se. It's your call. Those who sit around and don't do it, I think are just doing themselves a disservice because if the loan's not performing and you're not foreclosing, what are you doing? The loan doesn't automatically start generating cash flow on the shelf. Right. It just has got to do something. And I know I've talked to certain investors like, well, I don't want to spend the money to do it. You know, I bought a loan for two grand. Okay, but it's not doing anything. It's only two grand. Your risk is minimized because your investment's not huge, but it's not doing anything. So you put a little bit of money into it, you start foreclosure, you get the money back because most states, the foreclosure fees are recoverable. And now you generate some reaction by a borrower and 
you know, who knows? They just like, you know, when a tenant runs and jumps up and pays the, the past due rent, right? Though you have those kind of tenants, you know, you got to almost threaten eviction or send them an eviction before they run up and pay. Well, that's the same thing happens here. Makes a lot of sense. Coming into managing all these properties. I mean, you're in Phoenix, you're acquiring these properties around the country, primarily said in the Midwest and in the South. What are some systems that you've put in place? What are some tricks that maybe our audience could use? There's a lot of folks that are investing out of state. It might not be in notes specifically, but what has been key to your success in managing these assets? The key to the success is building a strong team in those markets. I've kissed a few frogs along the way, you know, finding the right team members, right? I found on balance trying to find the national vendors, you know, national property preservation guys, you know, national this, national that just don't really work out because all they're doing is farming out to a local affiliate anyway. You might as well go direct and engage a local affiliate in that market. Your team building usually starts with finding that good realtor who likes working with investors, who has the connections or their own contracting crew already. Secondarily, if, even if you're not even buying rentals, you a property manager knows everybody anyway. And that pretty much affords you. There's where your team starts. Now, with Scottsdale, we've grown and we've added team members to kind of oversee that. Like, for example, we have our own project manager now in-house you know, to deal with the lo- building local teams himself, right? It just takes the burden off of us. Although we've got some very strong teams in some very strong areas. New Orleans, Pittsburgh, you know, have, we've got extremely um, sound team members. How do you find a good team member that you're going to actually hire? So there's the step of you know, building a collaborative team, property management, all those pieces that you alluded to, certainly crucial. But when you scale to the point of actually bringing on board your own employees, you know, finding that right person can really be a 10x multiple in your business, or it can be a huge drag. How have you guys gone about finding that right person for those shoes? Good question. So a couple things. Number one, when I managed my law practice, I had 45 hangdown employees and managing employees almost did me in. Actually, <laughs> did me in. I swore I never wanted another employee the rest of my life. As we've learned, as we've grown our business and decided we had to scale, we've been actually fortunate. My business partner and I are actively leaders in a, what started out as a local real estate community here in Phoenix, which is now with Zoom gone you know, global, right? And so we've brought in team members who are other members of our community already. So we already know them. We've already you know, seen what they can do and what have you. That's the pool that we're swimming in to grow our team. I noticed on LinkedIn, Jay, that you're a member of, or a co-chair of the Ambassadors Community in Alliances, spelled E-L-I-A-N-C-E-S. Is that part of the environment that you're talking about, of putting yourself in those right circles to observe people, work with people, and then pick those high performers? No, but it's comical. But there is a connection. So when I moved here to Phoenix four years ago, I was seeking community. And I saw, and I'm sure you've seen them, you know, the bandit signs out there, you know, hey, you know, real estate mentor seeks trainee, earn while you learn, all this other stuff. And I knew what it was from California because I knew what it was, but buddies of mine were doing it, but they weren't very strong there. But when I came out here, I knew exactly what it was. And I knew that in seeking community, that if I got into, you know, had a conversation with the leaders of that community and said, look, real estate communities, real estate programs live and die by the ability of the members and the students be able to do deals. If you can't find a deal, you disengage and you move, you leave, right? And so I came into this community going, hey, I can bring deal flow. I've got connections with banks and hedge funds with regards to my note experience. I can bring deal flow into the community if that's something that you guys are interested in. As it turned out, it's grown 
exponentially from where it started back in 2017. But the leader of that group, at the time that I got involved, the real estate community was called Synergy. And then there was a falling out among their leadership and it became Alliance Phoenix with an A. But the leader of that community was also a member of Alliances. It's an entrepreneurial community. So he invited me there. And so now I'm a member of both. And we always have the joke of, Zach, why did you rename your real estate community Alliances? Because now there's a lot of crossover people who are both belong to both communities. Like, are you talking about Alliances with an A or Alliances with an E? And it gets confusing, right? But that has opened up my world. So basically my world in a nutshell, well, pre-pandemic was, you know, either doing things inside the real estate community or doing things inside the uh, entrepreneur group, right? Made substantial connections, substantial friendships, you know, it goes on and on. In fact, our software, REI Blade, is a product of our developer partner is a person that I met inside our entrepreneur group. 1,000 shows. Can you believe it? I can't. I cannot believe we have recorded more than a thousand interviews with experts in this business. We could not have reached this milestone without you, our listeners. I am personally grateful for each of you that are listening, and I hope that you are learning more every day from the interviews and the experts that we're having on the show. Just to say thank you, I want to offer a gift to the first 100 listeners that sign up. You need to go to the website, to the podcast page at LifeBridge Capital. There'll be a short form to fill out just so we can send you a gift to say thank you, but only to the first 100. I look forward to connecting with you. Please reach out if we can help in any way. That's really cool. Thanks for going into a little bit of a backstory there. REI Blade, real estate software. Now you've got me curious, Jay. Could you go into a little bit of depth what you've done there and how you guys utilize that tool? So, you know, in the pandemic, we all learned how to, we had to pivot, right? So we had a little bit of downtime. So it was something that we didn't really pivot in the pandemic. It was something that was created. The birth of it was started with my business partner and our tech partner. They had been talking about it for months prior. But I like to say, you know, there's the old woman who lived in the shoe. She had so many children. She didn't know what to do. Well, we got on such a buying frenzy from the time that we started. My partner and I started working together in September of 18 that we had so many assets under our management, whatever that the spreadsheets and Google drives and outlook and all this. I mean, you know, this was chaotic. And I got to tell you, while it was his brainchild, it was something that doesn't exist, at least from an investor of our caliber, of our size, has never existed in our space. Let me take a step back. So in my law practice, we had a terrific software that managed our 6,000 open files. Our paralegals could run files concurrently with our collectors, our accounting staff, you know, and all that, right? And when I got in the note space, I said, okay, what kind of program is available in the note space for this? There wasn't one. There still never was one, right? Now there is one. Well, the brainchild was more a product of when you're working with investors, right? Writing your quarterly reports and all that, you wanted a better system. So that's where it started, right? Basically designing a portal where they could look in and see their own assets. What do we create Well, it'll create your analytics on a dime. It'll create document management. It'll help you raise capital through, through creating, you know, your performance, not only and create prospectuses. It's got, you know, a variety of other features that is for anybody, not just note space, single family, multifamily funds. It's for anybody. There's nothing else in our scale. We tried, you know, the app folios and other things like that. They were too big. 
too expensive or just not fitting what we want. We're not the huge giant. We're not a servicer. We're not a hedge fund. We're not a you know, multi-million dollar fund. Those kind of programs are out there for them, not for us. Yeah, having a targeted program like that that serves your niche really well, and when you're creating it, you can give it all the widgets you need, but it's not bloated trying to serve everybody like an Appfolio. We've explored some of those platforms, and we have a similar tool on the multifamily side that's designed just for syndicators of large multifamily projects. Our needs are different than your needs on the note side, but having a tool like that is just paramount to success, particularly as you start to scale and start to deal with a decent number of investors. They're going to need reporting. They're going to need a portal where they can look at their investments and track their tax documents, all the behind the scenes work that makes a big difference. And even with syndicators, I mean, there's features of our system, of our program that cater to those to you guys as well. I mean, it started out as sort of, you would think sort of separate, right? You've got different needs than we do, but we all have capital raising needs, right? I think our program probably fits that niche more than anything else and other features that do dovetail. How are you increasing deal flow these days, Jay? I know that finding notes is a little different than finding whether it's single family residences, fix and flips, or even multifamily, but some of the things cross those boundaries. What are you doing to increase deal flow today? Fortunately, knock on wood, being very opportunistic, which actually started in the pandemic. Because the evolution was in fact, from 2013 to 2017, I was buying almost exclusively notes. By 2017, note pricing started getting a little too high. Too many inexperienced investors were in the marketplace overpaying for stuff. So we started buying property. We started buying property off auction.com, things like that, right? And then around, we were buying you know, rental properties in Cleveland off the MLS in 2019, right? And then the pandemic hits. And now we've got you know, the market going crazy. So we actually got, ended up fortunately going back to one of our note sellers that I had done business with over the course of years. And we started finding a niche of buying reverse mortgages in late stage foreclosure. So now we're picking up these mortgages. They're going to sale relatively quick. We're getting them at really attractive discounts. And so we stayed with that. We've been buying from a variety of, of specific sources, kind of on a forward flow. We're getting stuff you know, monthly and taking stuff down on a continual basis. And that's spawn into, you know, we still diversify by property. I mean, in building my team in Pittsburgh, I call randomly, there's a strategic purpose to how I call a real, find a team member, a realtor in in a particular market. But as I found her on a note that I owned that was buying in Pittsburgh, she became, you know, the perfect realtor. The property that I found her on was actually one of her rentals. So she's a property manager and a realtor and a wholesaler and a project manager and an investor. So well, we're buying the 14 unit through her this week. We were doing like we sold a fix and flip. We've got two more on the market going on the market this week. We've done like nine deals with her since January, just from the simple note that I did. You mentioned you have a process when you're going into a market to find a new realtor. What does that look like? How do you narrow down to find that person who, I mean, you just described this realtor in Pittsburgh. She sounds like the perfect Leatherman that can put on an investor hat or put on a wholesaler hat or a realtor hat. Um, You need somebody like that who doesn't just think through a traditional real estate agent lens. How do you go about finding that person? Finding is the easy part. I mean, you're actually, instead of going on Zillow and just calling a realtor who's paid to be there, you actually find, you know, from other comps, et cetera, those who have bought and sold in the area near your house, right? Because they know the market. Right. But that's only one piece of it. But he or she's only a retail type, you know, realtor, you know, that's not my fit. Right. You gotta want to work with investors. You gotta like to work with investors. You have to have that knowledge and experience. 
a retail realtor who doesn't work. You know, the landscape over the last two years has changed and it's always shifting in real estate. We shouldn't be surprised when the market takes a twist and a turn, but I don't think anybody had pandemic at the top of their list for 2020. Moving forward next 12, 24 months, what do you see that excites you and worries you about the real estate market, Jay? <laughs> Good question. I've always looked at life as or business, I guess, is what's recession proof, right? You know, you're going to have your challenges in certain industries, et cetera, are going to be market driven. I kind of feel I've always maintained that what we do is somewhat recession proof by analogy as well. And I'll tell you why. Number one, I'm buying assets, mortgage notes primarily, at extreme discounts now. If the market turns, the discounts I'm getting on my notes will only get greater. Number two, is the market stays hot, fortunately, I'm buying some attractive discounts, but my resale on the other end still stays strong. So I'm okay with that, right? And then the opportunity and the diversification and the various exit strategies that we have with notes, et cetera, kind of will let, allow us to always be able to pivot in any type of market change. I mean, right now, you know, we've done our share of seller financing, you know, and you say, well, seller financing is really prevalent when there's a downturn in the market. We've done really well in the strong market. Why? Think about it, right? The average credit score of people is still in the 720s, but that doesn't mean everybody's financeable, right? So we've done really well in seller financing, even strong markets, you know, some of that stuff. And then obviously, you know, short sales will come back. And, you know, I've done one short sale in my career on a note, which was hilarious. The realtor, everybody wanted to, it was in Chicago, which I love, hate relationship with Illinois. I do really well financially there, but it's just all the crap I go through to get there. This was a short sale where everybody wanted a piece of the action. I had an attorney representing the borrower. The borrower had already moved. She wanted relocation fees for her, for her client. She wanted her fees. The realtor wanted their commissions. It was just a joke with regards to, you know, everybody wanted a piece of the pie. And finally, I just said, no, you know, I'm ready to go to foreclosure sale like two months later. And so they just went and picked the buyer's pocket and increased the price of the buyer. So I would end up netting out what I was okay with. Hey, being creative and finding solutions, that's a good path. And how people are successful, ultimately, it's finding that problem and figuring out a unique way to solve it. Jay, as we're getting close to wrapping up here, would you have a habit or two that have contributed to your success that you'd share with the audience? Being resourceful is one of them. I mean, for me, an old mentor told me one time, you know, shoot, ready, aim. I'll dive in and figure it out later versus those who get paralyzed and say, I don't know what I'm doing until I'm ready, until I'm ready to be ready. I think you miss out. I think also you need to partner up with somebody. If, as you have that trepidation, which is very real and very common, you just want to partner up with somebody who knows what they're doing. Let them hold your hand and lead you through it. Because I learn by repetition. And I learned that and I got started the same way. Partner up with somebody who knew what they were doing and learn by doing, learn by taking the action. I mean, that's the strongest thing to do. I mean, I'm not a, you know, I did well in school, obviously, but I'm not a book smart kind of person. Excellent. Well, thanks for joining us today, Jay. Really appreciate you sharing wisdom with the audience and we'll look forward to catching up down the road. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital. Making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.